You're listening to the Flight School Podcast. I'm Jen Lafine, an accountability and mind management coach for solopreneurs. In this podcast, we are going to challenge those things that are holding us back from reaching our greatest potential. Things like mind drama, procrastination, old stories, doubt, and staying stuck in confusion. So if you're ready to start bringing your dreams to life, you're in the right place, my friend. Let's take flight. Welcome to the Flight School Podcast, my friends. Today, I have a very, very interesting guest, and I'm super excited to talk with her and to share our conversation with you because I think what she's going to tell us today is something that is going to benefit all of us. I would like to welcome Morgan Adams to the podcast. Morgan is a sleep coach. Isn't that amazing? I'm so excited to chat with her today. So Morgan, welcome to the show. How did you how did you get into sleep coaching? I think that's yeah. such, such an interesting niche. So Yeah, thank you Jen for inviting me to chat with you and um share some info with your guests. So, yeah, sleep coaching is sort of an unusual niche. I think it's becoming more popular. The reason I got into it is because several years ago I had a really bad bout of insomnia. And I had what they call sleep onset onset insomnia, where basically I couldn't fall asleep up for two hours. So it was really, really frustrating. Um, I ended up taking Ambien to help me with that journey of insomnia. It helped me fall asleep a little faster, but I had a lot of residual side effects the next day. Yet I continued to take it for eight years. After after eight years, I got kind of a wake-up call. Um, the man who I was dating at the time, new boyfriend, now husband, by the way, he sort of said to me one night, it kind of freaks me out when you take these pills because you kind of act like a zombie. And I was like, oh my gosh, he's right. So I I ended up taking myself off the pills. I was basically tapering down gradually, which is what you're supposed to do when you're going off a prescription sleep aid. However, what you really need to do is consult with your prescribing provider because they need to give you the instructions. It's also helpful to have a sleep coach in that process for accountability and support. But because I'm a very determined person, I made it work for me. And I slept pretty well for several years after that. And then there was a bit of a plot twist. And that was something we all experienced collectively together in 2020. In mm. March, when the pandemic first started, I started having sleep issues again, and I was very concerned because I did not want to go down the route of full-blown insomnia. So I bought myself an aura ring just to track my sleep. And I started just getting online and, and, and Googling how to sleep better. And I was able to get my sleep back on track. So I started to just organically start sharing what I was doing to help my sleep with people on Facebook. And I found out through doing that, that a lot of friends in my circle we're struggling with the same types of sleep issues. Mm-hmm. So probably summer of 2020 is when I got this revelation that I needed to do something professionally with sleep and sleep coaching just jumped out at me because I kind of like I, I, having had breast cancer in 2018, I really just changed so much about my health and I was really committed to helping people with their health, but I didn't know really how that was going to play out. I didn't know really what I was going to do with that. But once I figured out sleep was so critical to every aspect of our well-being and not enough people were sleeping well, I was like, this is a really great opportunity to help more people. 
and just really fulfill something in life that I wanted to do with helping people with their health. So it was in 2020 that I decided to go through multiple certifications and courses and just immerse myself to learn and then launched my sleep coaching practice summer of 2021. And it's been an amazing, an amazing journey to start something new at 51, something that I never thought I'd do. I love it. it. So what exactly does the sleep coach do? Yeah. So we are um, almost usually we're health coaches. A lot of us are health coaches, not all of us. Um, And we use um, behavioral strategies that we, um, that we use with our clients. And we also have a circadian rhythm framework. So we really understand circadian biology and we're, basically trying to help people change their behaviors and attitudes about sleep. And that can look a lot of different ways. So I have a huge toolkit that I use. So I'm using um, nutrition, movement, um, chronotypes. That means basically whether you're a night owl or an early bird. I'm using something called CBTI techniques, which is cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And that is without going really down the rabbit hole with that, that's essentially working on behaviors and beliefs about sleep that are interfering with people's sleep. It's kind of like reprogramming your your brain to sleep. So I really take what I call a holistic approach to sleep coaching. So I'm not using just like one technique because I I feel like everyone is so unique and their own Mm -hmm. struggles that I don't want a cookie cutter approach because it's just not going to, it's just not going to work for everyone. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I can't really say what all sleep coaches do, but that is what I do. And so since sleep coaching is kind of a new field, I think we're starting to kind of like really understand a lot. We'll start understanding a lot more about what sleep coaching is in the near future as programs get more uniform and the training gets more uniform. Cause like I've had to piecemeal together lots of different trainings and courses because I haven't found one sleep coaching program that offers everything. Sure. So let's talk about one of my favorite topics, which is napping. Yeah. Because I am a huge napper. I am an early bird. I go to sleep usually around 8.30 every night. I wake up at 4.30, which is eight hours, right? That's eight hours. But then in the afternoon, I feel the need for a nap. Mm -hmm. So often I'll sit down, I call it a second sleep because I think naps have a bad rap. So I call it second sleep. (laughs) What are your thoughts on napping? Yeah, I think naps are actually a really great uh, practice. Um, And I think the way that you're using them is really appropriate. So the way I recommend most people use naps, is sort of like the power nap, you know, so essentially what you're doing is you're just taking a nap for 20 to 30 minutes as a brain and body rejuvenation. I would, I recommend for naps though, is that you, you're careful about when you take them. So generally speaking, I don't recommend people take them like after three o'clock, for example. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason is, is because you can, naps are sort of like snacking on sleep, right? Think about like, if you snack before dinner, you're not going to be as hungry. So if you, if you have a little sleep snack before your actual bedtime, mm-hmm you may actually not have that sleep appetite built up so much. So we just kind of want to be careful. And this is especially true with um, the folks that I work mainly who have insomnia. And in fact, some of the people who haven't, most of the people who have insomnia really um, probably shouldn't take naps on, on a regular basis because it really, 
it really can take away that sleep drive. So because we, we want to, the object is to get them very, very sleepy before bed. But for someone who's, you know, kind of a healthy sleeper anyway, I think 20 to 30 minutes um, early afternoon, like, I mean, if you think about the way things are in, um, you know, Mexico, Europe, they do, they're doing these siestas, yes. right? Yes. And, and, you know, if you, I, th- I saw a documentary recently on the blue zones where they were talking about these hot spots where people are living to be a hundred plus. And a lot of these um, areas, they were, they were incorporating naps as part of their daily it. practice. I love it. So I think it's, it's a really good thing to, to incorporate if you if you have the ability to do that, not everyone does, not everyone sure. works. I mean, you know, you and I have the good fortune of being employed by ourselves. And if we mm-hmm. ask our boss, if we want a nap, our boss is going to say yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> More people... bosses should give their employees naps. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, in previous jobs that I had, um, you know, I was told, I mean, not that I really wanted to nap during the day, but I, I was told by somebody, if, if you're found sleeping at your desk, you'll be fired. Mm-hmm. Now that's pretty harsh. So yes, especially so, when naps are so, so good for you. So yes. what are your thoughts about the snooze button? Because mm, a- I have friends and <clears throat> family members who are chronic snooze button slappers. So what are your thoughts about the snooze? Yeah. button? I'm not a fan of them Okay, because what it, what it actually does is when you, when you hit the snooze button, you're getting maybe 10 extra minutes of very fragmented, non-restful sleep. And so what often happens is the more you snooze, the more groggy you are when you wake up. So I'm really not, really not a fan of it. Um, So if you are somebody who is, who is snoozing, using the snooze button and you want to stop, one of the things you can try is putting your phone like in another room or across the room so that you actually have to get out of bed to turn it get on. your butt out of bed and walk over there yes. and, and, you know, turn the snooze alarm off. Um, and you, so if you're doing it chronically, you, th- you may want to also consider setting your alarm for a little bit later. So if you're mm-hmm. like, let's just say you set the alarm for seven mm-hmm. and you hit the button three times, 10 minutes a piece. So you finally wake up at seven 30. You may want to just consider setting your alarm at seven 30 and getting up. And well, getting up, yeah. I have a different perspective on the snooze button from, from the work that I do with people and accountability is that when you set an alarm for seven and you hit the snooze button until seven 30, you're breaking your own self-trust because you set an alarm to get up and you're not honoring what you said you were going to do. So from my perspective too, it's like, you're already starting the day in a hole with doing what you said you were going to do. So it's so interesting. There's so many different takes on. on yeah. And you know, I, I, and I agree with what you you're saying too. That is an, another really great angle. You're kind of betraying what you're kind of breaking a promise you made to yourself. Exactly. And so if you're starting your day with that, then things could, I think could have potentially go awry from for you later on. So you said put your phone in another room. What should we have clocks in our room at night? Like is that necessary? Should we not? What are your thoughts? I, I'm not a fan, especially if you have a lot of anxiety about sleep or insomnia. Yes. So I'll use myself in, as an example. Years ago, when I had that bout of insomnia, I had this the sleep onset insomnia. So I would lie there, pretty much just glancing at the clock every few minutes. 
and then doing the countdown, you know, oh yes. no, it's, it's midnight. I've been in bed for two hours. That means I only have five hours to sleep. Exactly. It, it really, it does. It really doesn't do us any good, whether or not we wake up at 3am and find out it's 3am. It doesn't make any difference. We can't change the time. So it's just better that we not know. So I'm a fan of not having a clock in your bedroom if it creates anxiety for you. I was finding, and this is really fascinating, I was finding that for a long period of time, several, several months, a few years ago, I would wake up at 2.22 a.m. every morning. Mm. And I would roll over and I'd poke my head up and I'd look at the clock and it said 2.22 and I would put my head back down and I would go right back to sleep. It was so bizarre. So what I did to fix that is I turned, because we have we have our phones, but we also have a clock in our room. I just turned the clock around so I couldn't see it. So there was no reason for me to wake up and look at the clock and see if it was 2.22. It was so bizarre. Yeah. So bizarre. So what do you do? How do you suggest people handle that middle of the night wake up where they can't fall back to sleep? Yeah. Well, what do you suggest? First, first, let me just say that it's normal to wake up in the middle of the night. We are actually designed to have a brief awakening after we complete each sleep cycle. So that would be probably four to five or six times a night. Now, it's really sort of an evolutionary thing. These, these brief wake-ups after sleep cycles are finished. It's a way to briefly scan our environment for safety. And we, when we realize it's, it's safe, we go back to sleep. Because think, think way, way, way back when of we course. had predators and mm-hmm. you know, we weren't safe. So it's an, it's an adaption type of behavior. And you know, if we're awake less than a few minutes, we're not going to remember those brief awakenings. The problem happens is when we have those awakenings and then we get anxious about having those awakenings. And then we start ruminating. We start, you know, doing the countdown if we have a clock in our bedroom. So there are are a few different tactics that I recommend. So one of the tactics that I recommend comes from the CBTI, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia um, methodology, and it's um, called stimulus control. So if you are um, lying in bed awake, for 20 or 30 minutes and you're starting to feel anxious and you're wondering if you're going to be able to fall back to sleep, what you can do is you can go into another room in dim light and do something relaxing and pleasant and quiet. So that would be like reading or maybe doing a puzzle, um, you know, needlepoint, knitting, something just calm. And Not you- picking up your phone and checking yeah. Exactly. Don't do that. That's the last thing you want to do. You don't want to pick up your phone and get engaged with, with content or media. So you basically just do these common relaxing activities till you become sleepy again. And then you go back to bed. So the, the whole point of that is to unpair your bed with anxiety. You want to only pair your bed with sleep. So now that doesn't work for every single person. So if you're really opposed to doing that, what you can do is you can stay in bed and you can do visualization exercises. You could do breath work, meditation. Those are some good activities to kind of just calm your nervous system and get you, get you into a better state for sleep. Mm -hmm. So I guess, you know, I'll wrap with saying don't panic, you know, because 
we actually start using our non-rational brain when we wake up. Like our, our rational brain is literally shut off. So we tend to have these ruminating, anxious thoughts creep up at, you know, at 2, 3 a.m. I mean, the worst thoughts that I've ever had have come up during those times. Yes. Things, things that I would never think about with my rational brain at noon, right? right. So we, we kind of have to remember that. And, and when our thoughts come up, say, this is my my night brain talking. Yes. <laughs> this is not my rational brain talking. Sleep will come. The world isn't ending. <laughs> you know, the, the crisis that was at work yesterday, it's going to be okay. You know, so we kind of have to really try to get ourselves into this self-talk. Yes. Yes, for sure. For sure. You know, we could probably go on here for at least another hour, but unfortunately we're going to wrap up today, but I know that some of my listeners will have questions and will want to perhaps chat more with you. And so you have graciously shared with me a link that anyone who's listening can use to book a complimentary sleep clarity call with you. And so I'll put that link in the show notes because I'm sure there are some people who are going to definitely want to get with you because you cannot fly to your greatest potential if you're crabby from not sleeping, right? So true. All right. Well, Morgan Adams, thank you so much for being here with me on the show today and teaching us so much just in the last 20 minutes or so about the importance of sleep and how we can improve our sleep in our world. So I appreciate you being here. You're so welcome. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Flight School Podcast. If you want to continue to receive Flight School lessons directly into your podcast feed, please be sure to follow the show. And if you know someone who could benefit from what I teach here on the podcast, why not share this episode with them and help them out? If you are looking for more support to help you spread your wings and fly, please visit my website at www.jenlafine.com slash work with me to learn more. Have a great week and I'll see you again soon.